James chapter number 4 tonight, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's read verse 8 once more, and we'll pray. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. I pray now that you would take the sword of the Spirit, that you'd pierce our souls, and that you'd do in us that which would bring you glory. Thank you for each and every person here, Father. I pray that you would now help me to get out of the way. Lord, that I'd not say anything you wouldn't have me to say, that I'd not refrain from saying that which would draw glory unto your blessed Son. We do ask it now in Christ's name. Amen. The book of James is a very practical book. In fact, you'll find that though there are truths in the book of James that seem to operate on a higher level, they're always placed on the bottom shelf so that we can apply them to our lives. The book of James is very fascinating for its practicality. But as we read the verses that we have handled tonight, I want us to focus on just three verses this evening, verses 8, 9, and 10. And I'm very fascinated by the phrase used at the beginning of verse number 8, where the Bible says, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Now, I want to ask you a question. I don't expect you to answer in a visible way or an audible way, but I just want to ask you this question. I want you to ponder it in your heart. Would you like to have a closer walk with the Lord? You know, if any of us, if we were to be honest, I think we would probably admit that regardless of the condition of our walk with God, we wish it was closer than what it is. I know that me personally, I can acknowledge and admit, uh, there, I, I'm, I'm better than I was at one time, I'm worse than I've been at my best times. But in my life right now, I long to be closer to God. I want Him to be closer to me. And in all of the practicality and pragmatism of the book of James, I think we see in these verses seven keys to a closer walk with the Lord. In fact, it's interesting as you read these verses, it's almost like little maxims, little just nuggets of truth that James gives us, one after the other, short sentences. But in them, if we break them down, I feel like we do see a break in thought beginning at verse number 8 and ending with verse number 10 concerning our walk with the Lord. And I want us to notice tonight these seven things. You can jot them down if you want to, or you can remember them if you can't. But I hope they'll help you as you seek to walk closer to the Lord. Uh, Nobody gets closer to the Lord without wanting to. Uh, Now, you say, well, preacher, what if I go through a tough time and that brings me closer to the Lord? Well, there's lots of folks go through tough times and don't get closer to God through it. I mean, I can take you down to the hospital and I can take you room to room and show you people that, I mean, God has shook their world, but they've not drawn closer to it. 
And there's lots of folks that they go through tough times and difficult times that God would want to draw closer to them, but because they don't want to draw closer to the Lord, they don't draw closer to the Lord. And that's the first truth that we see here, is I want you to notice the prerogative of a closer walk. What does it say? Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. You know what God says here? He puts the ball squarely in our court. Now, some of you, and maybe even in your own prayer time this morning, or maybe last night, or maybe even on your way to church, you prayed and you asked God to draw you closer. But God says this to you, you draw closer, and I'll draw closer. You see, the choice is in our court. The ball is in our court. The choice is in our hands. Uh, You've heard it said before, but I'll say it again, because I think it bears saying that every bit of us, we have as much of God as we want. I mean, don't lament and complain and whine about how awful your walk with the Lord is, how you want to do more, how you try to do more, how your job keeps you from serving God, or how your family keeps you from serving God, or how your friends keep you from serving God. Uh, The Lord didn't say to get your friends to draw closer to me and I'll draw closer to you. He didn't say get you a job that will help you draw closer to me and I'll draw closer to you. He didn't say get your family to draw closer to me. But He placed it squarely on you and I. And He said, if you'll draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. Every person in this room, you could walk out of here with your mind made up that you're going to live closer to God, and you could do it. The Lord doesn't ask anything of us that we can't by His grace and with His strength accomplish. And every one of us can leave here if we wanted to tonight. And I don't mean all of you, I mean every one of us. We could leave here saying, Lord, I desire a closer walk and I'll do what's necessary to have a closer walk with the Lord. Because let me tell you something, one of these days at the judgment seat of Christ, your family won't stand with you. Your boss won't stand with you. And your co-workers won't stand with you. And your friends won't stand with you. The book of Hebrews says, speaking of the Lord, that it's Him with whom we have to do. And it'll be you and the Lord standing there. The Lord won't ask uh, for your family or friends or boss or whoever it might be to give an account. He'll ask you to give an account. And so the question is, do you want a closer walk with the Lord? Now, a moment ago when I asked that question, probably everybody in this room for the most part answered, at least in their hearts, affirmatively. But do you really? Do you really want a closer walk with God? Does it scare you to walk close with God? There's a lot of people it does. It scares them. They're afraid if they get right with the Lord that their life's going to be no fun. Well, I'm not going to give away the sermon, but you notice what the last phrase we read was? The Bible says, He shall lift you up. Let me tell you something. There's no greater plane you can walk on than to walk with the Lord. I mean, Enoch walked with God, and the Bible says he was not. And I know you've heard preachers say it before, but I can't resist saying it myself, that there just came a day when the Lord said, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to your house. Just keep on walking. Walk right up into my house and into my world. And that's exactly what Enoch did. But see, if he hadn't been walking with God, that wouldn't have happened. And we we expect God to come in and give us this great experience when we won't even read His Word. We won't even pray to Him. We won't even be faithful to His house. I'm not fussing at you. It's a Wednesday night crowd. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just merely saying that until we get serious about serving God, then then serving God won't be a serious thing. And until we get serious about our walk, we won't have a serious walk. So we see the prerogative lies with us. What does the next phrase say? Well, and and there's a whole sermon could just be preached with the correlation of these two things. How do we draw closer to God? What's the first step? We see the prerogative of a closer walk, but notice the purging of a closer walk. What's the first step? What's the first step? The first step isn't to go out and buy your study Bible. The first step isn't to go out and join some Bible study or get with some prayer group. The first step isn't to uh, uh, call everybody and make sure, I mean, I think you ought to be in church, but that's not the first step. What's the first thing? He says this, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And you say, wait a minute, preacher, I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint. Well, what is a saint but a forgiven sinner? 
I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. We're all sinners. As long as we're in this vile flesh, we'll be sinners. Every one of us. You notice who he's speaking to, and the context of it is very plain. He says this in verse number 4. Let me tell you something. Most churches, and I said this about Paul Sunday morning, but it's true about James too. They wouldn't abide James' preaching. You see, you don't mind if I call the people that James wrote to adulterers and adulteresses, but what if I started calling our names? Starting with me. Starting with me. Boy, most churches, want, they wouldn't abide James. I mean, that's straight. That's truth right there. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, what kind of adulterers and adulteresses? He's not necessarily saying that you're being unfaithful to your marriage vows to your spouse. He's saying you're being unfaithful to your marriage vows to your Savior. He says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So that's who he's dealing with. He's dealing with worldly Christians, Christians that are driven and moved by their own lusts. Now you say, well, preacher, I'm not too worldly. Why are you driven by your own lusts and desires? Every one of us is. Every one of us, to a greater or lesser capacity, we're driven by our wants and desires. I don't care who you are. And he says this, the first step is repentance. The first step, once you've made up your mind, the first thing to do is get sin out of your life. Don't bother with talking about a close walk with God if you won't get sin out of your life. Whatever, and and listen, I believe in calling sin by name. I I really do. I I believe preachers ought to. I'm not against it. I'm not opposed to it. But I found this to be true, that I can either sit up here and try to pick out every little sin that I can think of and hope one of them hits you, or I can let the Holy Ghost say exactly what kind of sin's in your life to you. You know, He's able to. If you're just waiting for me to get up and happen to mention the sin that you're involved in, that may never happen. But if you'll listen to the wooing and, and moving of the Spirit of God in your heart that takes that sin and shines the spotlight on it when the preacher gets up, whether it's me or anybody else, and they get up and they talk about sin in your life, if you've got sin in your life, I believe with all my heart, if you're a born-again child of God and you have sin in your life, that when sin's mentioned, the Spirit of God shines a light on that sin in your heart and mind. And immediately, you know what it is. You know what it is. Well, until, until you get that out of your life, you're not serious about walking with God. You're just not serious. I'm not being ugly. I'm not being rude. That's just a fact. The first step is to cleanse your hands, ye sinners. We spend a lot of time begging God to take stuff away that we won't let go of. You hear people say all the time, well, you know, we just need to pray that the Lord will take it away from us, take it away from us. I've got a good feeling He's trying to. Just question whether we'll let go. You see, James didn't say pray to God that He'd cleanse your hands. He said, you cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And so it's on us. Till we give it up, till we give it over, we're not serious about walking with God. So we see the purging of a closer walk. Then look at the next phrase. We see the priority of a closer walk. Now, as you read this, there is a tendency to think that it's dealing with secret inside sins in our hearts. But I don't believe it is. He says, and purify your hearts. And then what's the next phrase? He says, ye double-minded. Now, James already used this language. He said earlier that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's like a ship that's tossed to and fro. But you'll find this use of the word double and of the word single in the Bible, that often it deals with the priority of our hearts. You remember when the Lord said that if your eye be single... And what he was talking about was this, if, you're, if you've fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Can I give you an example? You ever heard someone say, oh, he only has eyes for her? You ever heard someone say that before? You ever heard him say that someone has a wandering eye? You ever heard that before? You see, somebody with a wandering eye is someone who's double-minded. 
And as it applies to the spiritual realm, I believe what James is teaching here. First he says, in your life, you need to cleanse your hands. But then he says, in your love, you need to purify your hearts. You need to get to the place where Jesus is the only person that sits on the throne of your heart. Let me tell you something. You won't get close to God till Jesus is a priority. You won't get close to God till He means more to you than anything. I'm just giving you practical truth. I'm not James, but can I pretend to be James for a minute here? You won't get serious until you make Jesus everything. Until then, you're playing games. You're playing church. When he says purify your hearts, he's not saying get all those secret inward sins out. Now, you need to do that. He said that. I believe that's implied in the phrase right before it where he says cleanse your hands, ye sinners. I think what he's saying is this. Anything in your heart that competes with Jesus Christ, anything that pollutes his authority in your life and in your desires needs to be removed out of the way. You need to get the idols out of your life. There's no telling how many D.L. Moody's let one thing keep them from doing something for God. No telling. No telling how many great and mighty preachers that God could have used. And they had almost everything in check in their life. But they let something. Maybe it was a family member. Let me tell you something. I, I, don't, mean to, I don't mean to minimize the role and importance of the home and of marriage. But let me tell you something. If your spouse keeps you from living for God, that spouse is, is an idol in your life. Mm, we all had to think about that, didn't we? Or maybe it hurt. I don't know. If your spouse, I'm not saying, I'm not saying go and sign papers and walk off and leave them. I didn't say that. What I said was this. Some people even make their spouse an idol in their life. They get to the place where they won't live for God. They're afraid it'll upset their spouse. I could give you examples, even as we speak, where one spouse is dragging the other one down a dark hole. And allowing them, and it's because they've let something take the place of other than Jesus Christ in their life. Maybe it's a child. Oh, if I let, let me tell you something. If what I just said got an ill response, go ahead and put your coats on because it's about to get frigid in here. I love my child, but my child is not more important than Jesus Christ. He's not more important. If I let my child hinder my walk with God, he has become an idol. So what do you mean, preacher, you ought to give them away? No, I didn't say give them away. I, I say this, put them in the place that they ought to be put in. I don't mean an ugly way. I don't mean the root, but I just mean this. Let Jesus Christ reign and sit upon the throne of your life. Make Him the priority. And oh, we could go down all manner of lesser things. We could talk about money. We could talk about jobs. We could talk about friends. We could talk about toys, you know. I mean, it, I know lots of folks, man, they love God till it's camping season. They love God till it's lake season. I'm just merely saying this. Till you put Him where He needs to be, you're not serious about walking with God. The priority must be placed upon Him. Then I want you to notice the next phrase. We see the prayer of a closer walk. Now you say, but preacher, I don't see the word prayer anywhere in here. No, but we see the description of the prayer of someone that seeks God. Look what it says in verse number 9. It says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Now let me ask you something. Does God take joy in our misery? No. God's not interested in us being miserable just to be miserable. But who's he talking to here? Again, context is king. If you're going to understand your Bible, understand it. God wrote the Bible in context, so read it in context. 
He's talking about those that have been living in sin, that have allowed the wooing of the world to draw them away from the walk with the Lord that they need to have. And you know what he says about them? He says you need to approach the Lord and approach Him with affliction and mourning and weeping. You need to be broken over your sin. Let me tell you something. Until we're broken over our sin, we won't be broken from our sin. You know why David was a man after God's own heart? It wasn't because he was perfect. It's because David understood how damaging sin was. I don't know that anybody hates sin the way God hates sin. But I think David came about as close as anyone. David was a sinner. David made mistakes. In fact, if you go down the the catalog of men that made mistakes in the Bible, you won't find much of anybody that will be placed above David. I mean, we know enough about David's life. We talk about the sin with Bathsheba. But on many occasions, David is put in a a poor light in Scripture and his sin is shown forth. His sin, listen carefully, his sin cost the nation of Israel more lives than most enemy nations did. He was a sinner. But he understood that sin was an ugly thing. He understood that when he sinned, he sinned before the Lord. No matter who else, here he was. Listen, there was a weeping wife, a newly turned widow, burying her husband. And you know what David said? He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Now you say, preacher, that seems very insensitive. No, it's not insensitive. It's comparative language. Kind of like when the Lord said this, that unless you hate your father, hate your mother, and so on and so forth, you're not worthy of me. You say, oh, preacher, the Lord wants us to hate our mothers. If that's so, then why did the Lord in compassion and tenderness turn the care and and the watching of His mother over to John and looked at John and said, behold thy mother, and looked at Mary and pointed to John and said, behold thy son. Why was it that He loved and cared for His mother so much? No, see, the Lord is not contradicting. What He's using is comparative language. He's saying, you ought to love me so much that the love that you have for your mother... And let me tell you something, there ain't, there's just about nobody that a person loves more than their mama. He says, that love ought to seem like hate compared to how you love me. And in the same way, David used comparative language. He, he understood he had hurt Bathsheba. He understood that he had killed one of his best friends. He understood that he had damaged his testimony before the nation of Israel. But he says, before all those things, what I've done to God is vastly more offensive. See, the truth of the matter is, we ought to just grow to hate sin. We ought to never hate the sinner, but we ought to learn to hate sin. Uh, that You know, it's kind of like where the Bible says, speaking the truth in love. We, we ought to never shy away from the truth, but we ought to never shy away from love either. And in the same way, we ought to know how to hate sin and love the sinner. But you know that the real problem is this. I'm not worried that Christians don't hate everybody else's sin enough. My concern is we don't hate our own sin enough. We don't hate our own sin enough. Let me tell you, we, we, and you hear it all the time. I know you've heard it before. You've heard preachers say this. I know that you have. They talk about, oh, well, you know, these kids go down the aisle popping bubble gum and going with their friends and snickering in the altar. You've heard them say that. You've heard, I know what they're talking about. I've seen it. I understand what they mean. Let me tell you what I think is a lot more offensive to God. I think God is a lot more offended by grown children that come into the house of God and act like everything's okay in their walk with the Lord when everything's not okay in their walk with the Lord. Uh, when they uh, stand up, talk about all these different things, when they go to an altar and weep and pray only to turn around and go right back out, not sincere, not meaning it, not meaning business with God, I think God's a lot more offended by that. In other words, we ought to to let sin bother us. 
You say, preacher, it's not natural for sin to bother us. No, it's supernatural. But when you got saved, you not only have the old man living in you, the Adamic nature, the flesh, but you have a new man that's been raised to walk in newness of life. And sin may not bother your flesh, but if you're born again, sin will bother your spirit and the Holy Spirit. And we ought to be bothered by sin. It ought to, it ought to bother us. We see the prayer of a closer walk. But then look at the next phrase. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You say, well, preacher, he said the same thing. He's just repeating. No, uh, God doesn't waste any, any space on any of these pages. It's there for a reason. I want you to notice the little three-letter word that's used at the beginning of that phrase. It says, let. In other words, allow. Allow. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And I want you to notice the permission of a closer walk. The permission. Let me tell you something. If you want someone as big as God to move in your life, you're going to have to make some room for Him. I sometimes, and I need rest in the afternoons like you do. I mean, especially on a Sunday, you know. I mean, you come out of the pulpit. Well, you don't, but I do. <laughs> and come out of the pulpit and you're dripping wet and you're worn out and you're tired. And uh, there's not a lot of things that I'll fight a man over. But you wake me up from a Sunday afternoon nap, and it'll get real in a hurry. But I almost think it's, it's counterproductive. Because you know what we do? We come into the house of God. We hear a message preached. We sing the songs of Zion. The Spirit of God stirs in our heart. We go down. We get in an altar. We do business with God. And we turn right around here and we go to the nearest restaurant. And we sit there. We get all tore up in the flesh because we've got to wait 40 minutes. We sit down by a bunch of people. That, and and I, don't misunderstand me. We need to go out in the highways and the hedges. We need to be... I'm not advocating a, a, an exclusionist attitude. Now, I'm not a, advocating we be isolationists. But we go out and we fellowship with a bunch of people that don't know God, that have never been around God, that don't know the things of God. And we go to the house and we turn the TV on, let the devil come sit in the living room for a while. And then we come, you know, go down, lay, lay, take a nap. And if you're like me, once I sleep, anything that happened in the 48 hours before I sleep is gone. Gone for at least two weeks. You ask me what happened yesterday, I, I don't have a clue. It was like I was blacked out. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what happened yesterday. We get up from a nap and we drag in, we rub the sleep out of our eyes, and we sit down and we say, all right, round two. Round two. And we don't allow God any room to move and to work. You know one of the reasons camp works? Camp works because we've got the kids for six days. If we had the kids for two days, camp wouldn't work. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Now, we see kids saved in the first two days, but the vast majority of the work that God does don't get done in the first two days. The vast majority of it is going to happen in the last three. Do you know why? Because they get up there, they unplug from everything, and they allow God room to speak and to move and to work. Sometimes I think it would be good if we had adult camp. Amen? And take you up there, and some of you say, well, I'm not all that plugged in. Well, listen, you, you, I don't care if it's a cell phone or a landline phone. All of us are plugged in somewhere. And get away from all that stuff, turn off the TV, quit looking at all the nonsense, and get up and just get quiet for a little while so God can speak and move and work. You've got to let these things happen. You see, the world is pushing for you to constantly be laughing. It's not a deep joy, it's not a, it's not a deep happiness, but it's just distraction. You know what old Leonard Ravenhill used to say, that, that entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. And if we can just say distracted long enough, then we'll go through our whole life distracted. And God won't be able to move into work. The Lord says, let these things happen. 
Make room for God to do these things in your life. Hey, listen, if God rings your bell and and calls your name and speaks to your heart, it might do you good to go home and not turn on the TV the second you walk in the door. Maybe go home and just sit with this Bible for a few minutes and read. Maybe it'd do us some good. Most of us, we make up our mind to pray for something, and we've done give up before God's even had the chance to hear it in all reasonableness. I know He hears it immediately, but you also know what I mean. We pray two, three times, and we say, well, I guess God said no. I guess He said no. Is that the picture the Lord gave for, for prayer when the man comes and begins to knock on his neighbor's door, and he wants a loaf of bread, and he just keeps knocking and keeps knocking? Is that the picture that the Lord taught us of prayer when the little widow woman comes to the ruler and comes to the judge and pleads and begs and pleads and begs? And the Bible says there comes a place where he doesn't even want to give anything to her, but just for importunity, just because she won't stop, he says, I'll give something to you. You say, is that how God is? No, God's better than that. Because Christ said this, how much more shall your heavenly Father How much more shall your heavenly Father? Let me tell you something. Most of the time we treat Him like Santa Claus. We roll in with a wish list, come into the prayer closet, stop in, do our time. Here's a list of things I want, God, and I'll see you later. Let me know when it arrives. We've got to let God do these things. We've got to make room for God to do these things. We see in this passage the permission of a closer walk. Then notice, and I just have two more and I'm done. Look at the next phrase. We see the position of a closer walk. James says this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Now, there's two interesting things that are revealed there. One is the attitude and approach with which we're to make, uh, to go before God if we want a closer walk, and it's that of humility. You know, one of the things that I abhor about the name it and claim it mentality that is so pervasive on TV religion and things like that is the presumptuousness of it. Uh, now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Let me tell you something. Anything God's promised me, I have access to that promise. And in fact, I'm made a partaker of the divine nature by these promises. I, I mean, anything that God said, Toby Weber, I promise you this, and He showed me in His Word, then I ought to come boldly before the throne room of grace so that I may obtain mercy grace to help in time of need. But one of the things that bothers me about the name it and claim it is to go through and say that God has promised things God's not promised. There's a lot of things God ain't promised you. <laughs> I don't mean that in an ugly way, but I'm just telling you. I mean, I can name and claim, and I can write it down. And I, can, I mean, I can eat it, or I can mail it off, or I can put it in a jar, or I can, you know, plant it in the ground, or whatever these nuts tell you to do, and that won't do a thing because God hadn't promised those things. If God chooses to give me something, by all means, He's due the glory and the honor for it, but I can't go into the prayer room demanding things God hasn't promised to me. See, the approach when we want a closer walk with the Lord is humility. You know the best way that you can approach God for a closer walk is say this, Lord, I know you haven't hindered my relationship with you, so I guess I have. I guess I have. I know you've not been the problem, Lord, so I guess I've been the problem. And Lord, whatever you'd like for me to change in my life, I'll change it. Now let me tell you something. Anybody that says that in sincerity, they mean business. They mean business. Not to come in and say, well, Lord, I guess I'd get rid of this and I guess I'd get rid of that. But if you just write God a blank check for your life, you'd be amazed what He'd do with it. Say, Lord, it's all yours. I'm bought and paid for. I'm bought with a price. And whatever it'll take, I'll do it to have a closer walk with you. Because, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. And then notice the next half of it. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. In the sight of the Lord. I don't think the Lord is necessarily opposed to outward humility. 
Uh, you hear a lot of stuff against it in the Bible. Because the outward humility that the Pharisees displayed, for instance, when they'd fast, they would cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and, and they'd allow their face to go gray, and they'd walk around with a sad look, and they must have been Baptists, amen? And Because uh, I see a lot of Baptists look like that all the time. But no, the, the Christian life is a joyous thing. And, and the thing that Christ was teaching against when He rebuked them was that there was no inward humility, merely an outward humility. I don't think that the Lord is against outward humility. I think we ought to be outwardly humble. But let me say this, that outward humility with no inward humility is the axiom of hypocrisy. You know what that is? It's manipulative. It's making people think you think less yourself when you really think more yourself. The Lord says this, understand that it's the Lord with whom we have to do, and in His sight you need to be humble. In honesty and in sincerity to be humble before the Lord. And then finally, and I'm done, notice the power of a closer walk. What's going to happen? You're going to lift yourself up? No, He shall lift you up. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. I thought this was all about what I do. No, it's all about you getting out of the way and letting God do what He wants to do. You draw an eye to the Lord, but that's not how you get close to Him. You draw an eye to Him and what will happen? He'll draw an eye to you. He'll draw an eye to you. I think it's interesting the way it says that he'll lift you up. He didn't. It didn't say he'd scoot you over. Now it could have said that. I mean, I know that might have sounded a little hillbilly for that Elizabethan English, but but I mean, he could have said something along those lines. He could have said he'll scoot you over. He could have said he'll come to you. Let me tell you something. Just in all honesty, and I'm glad when I was a sinner he came to me. I am. But I don't want the Lord to come to where I am all the time because a lot of times I'm in a mess. I'd a lot prefer it if he'd just pull me up to where he's at. That's what a closer walk is. A closer walk is not dragging the Lord down into your sin and saying, because He'll never leave me nor forsake me, I can live how I want and He'll walk with me. That's not a closer walk with God. A closer walk with the Lord is saying this, by His grace, strength, power, and mercy, I want to be out of the mire, out of the muck, out of the clay. I want to be up where He's at. I want to do what Paul did. I want to be in the heavenlies with Him. I, I, I want to see that I'm dead and my, I'm crucified with Christ and I'm dead and my life is hid with, with Christ in God. That's, what, that's the kind of life I want to live. Suffice it to say, if you want a closer walk with the Lord, changes have to be made. Changes have to be made. Otherwise, you'd already have a closer walk with God. Let me say that again. I really want you to get that. And I need to get it real good, too. If you want a closer walk with God, something's going to have to change. Because if nothing needed to change, you'd already have a closer walk with God. You're going to have to do some things different. You're going to have to repent of some sin and get it out of your life. It, it may be. I know this is a Wednesday night crowd. I mean, I don't know, but I doubt we've got any hard drug users in the house uh, other than Jane. You know, I, I, I doubt that that's the kind I'm aware of that. What about that pride, though? What about that bitterness? What about that lust? What about that jealousy or that covetousness? Whatever it is, you say, well, what is it, preacher? Well, what did the Spirit of God tell you it was? Whatever He told you it was, that's what it is. See, that's going to have to go if you're going to walk closer with the Lord. But let me tell you something. You know the promise He made? Here's a promise you can take to the bank. If you'll draw an eye to Him, what did He say He'd do? He said He'd draw an eye to you.